0: Today we're going to talk about one of America's federal agencies. They undertake, promote, and institutionalize aeronautical research.
1: Oh, so you finally got the NASA episode in then. Not exactly. Wait. Oh, I read it wrong. What is NACA? I've been thinking we were talking about NASA today. We're talking about NACA. What's the, where does the C come from?
0: We 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 snuck a C in there. So this is the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, mm. founded in 1915. It was born as an emergency measure during World War I to promote industry, academic, and government coordination on war-related projects. It's like the stock industries of like the
1: 1900s or something, right? That's what it is. <laughs> sure. It's, it's big Tony's baby. Yeah. I, I wonder how many people actually like saw this episode today and just thought we were talking about NASA. Like it just didn't even scan. Yeah. Or that I typoed it. (laughs) That's also a very strong possibility. So NACA would be dissolved in 1958 after the formation of NASA, but we'll talk about that at the end of the show.
0: Yeah, let's get back to its founding. As with
1: most of the best things in America, this was modeled on work taking place in Europe and exclusively my country, Britain's Advisory Committee for Aeronautics. Backer, I guess, being extremely influential in NACA's founding. Ideas were also borrowed from national agencies in France, Russia, and Germany.
0: USA. USA, USA. Is
1: it just any mention of America make you do that?
0: or Well, I'm like, sort of mocking work. it because we stole this from a bunch of other countries.
1: Good work. In December 1912, the U.S. president and bathtub aficionado William Howard Taft appointed a National Aerodynamical Laboratory Commission chaired by Robert S. Woodward, president of the Carnegie Institution of Washington. But a year later, when Congress voted to approve and fund the commission, the bill failed. Typical Washington gridlock. Exactly. It's been going on for a long time. Two years later, another attempt was created. Charles D. Walcott was the secretary of the Smithsonian Institution from 1907 to 1927, and he outlined the creation of an advisory committee to, and I quote, supervise and direct the scientific study of the problems of flight, with a view to their practical solution, and to determine the problems which should be experimentally attacked, and to discuss their solution and their application to
0: practical questions. You follow that, right? Right. Everyone got that. We all know what yeah. we're talking about. You yeah, could put easily. that on a challenge coin. Or a T-shirt. <laughs> In January of 1915, Senator Benjamin Tillman and Representative Ernest W. Roberts introduced identical resolutions recommending the creation of a committee based on Walcott's new idea. They attached the proposal to the Naval Appropriations Bill, all but guaranteeing its success. And pass it did. When President Woodrow Wilson signed the
1: Navy Bill into law, a committee of 12 unpaid members was created, given a yearly budget of $5,000, which is about $127,000 today. This is not a ton of financial input by government standards. Really wasn't. No. By
0: 1920, things were humming along when President Wilson appointed Orville Wright to NACA's board. You know, just one of the brothers who built and flew the world's first successful airplane. I'd say that I
1: should have earned a spot on this committee. You?
0: Yeah, why not? (laughs) Sounds great, right? I could do it. (laughs) I feel like Orville Wright is higher on the list than you are. Well, we'll see. I've flown many planes, you know. You've flown in many planes.
1: (laughs) Ah, that's the problem. Anyway, around this time, NACA had adopted a broader mission to promote military and civilian aviation through applied research that looked beyond current needs. This meant that both commercial and military clients were able to use NACA facilities for research and development, often collaborating on projects.
0: By 1938, the agency had over 420 employees, many of whom had great freedom to research projects both on and off the clock. The teams were located at four main facilities, Langley Memorial Aeronautical Laboratory in Hampton, Virginia, Ames Laboratory in Santa Clara County, California, the Aircraft Engine Research Laboratory, which is now known as the Glenn Research Center in Ohio, and Edwards Air Force Base in Southern California. All right, let's talk about some of the work that's done at these locations after this break. This episode of UnGenius is brought to you by HELLO. HELLO makes insanely comfortable buckwheat pillows. I don't know if you've tried one of these, but they're really different from regular fluffy pillows. They support your head and neck and they don't collapse under the weight of your head like traditional pillows, and they stay cool and dry compared to feather or foam pillows. Because it it breathes better, it means these pillows always have the cool side. You don't have to flip it over if you get warm and humid at night. And you can add or remove filling to suit your needs so your pillow can be just the way you like it. People have been sleeping on buckwheat pillows for years. They're very popular in Japan, and they also appear on the pillow menus at fancy hotels. I've had a Hello pillow for quite a while, and the adjustment is really nice. When I got mine, it was a little too tall, and you just unzip it, and you scoop some buckwheat out. I put mine in a gallon-sized Ziploc bag so I know where it is, and I could just fine-tune it to just what I wanted. Hello is made in the U.S. of A. with quality construction and materials. The certified organic cotton case is cut and sewn for durability, and the buckwheat is grown and milled in the U.S. So if you're curious to try one of these, you can. Sleep on it for 60 nights, and then if Hello isn't for you, head to hellopillow.com slash ungeniused right now to get your own buckwheat pillow. That's hellopillow.com, H-U-L-L-O slash ungeniused. And if you buy more than one, they have a special discount of up to $20 off depending on what size you opt for. They have fast free shipping with every order, and 1% of all their profits are donated to the Nature Conservancy. Give it a try. If you love it, you keep it, and if you don't, you can send it back. Head on over to HelloPillow.com/slash ungenius now. Our thanks to Hello for their support of this show and Relay FM.
1: Much of NACA's early work centred around the use of wind tunnels. The first opened at Langley in 1920. Over the next decade, many more were opened. The Variable Density Tunnel in 1922. The Propeller Research Tunnel in 27, The High Speed... 11-inch wind tunnel in 28, the vertical 5-foot wind tunnel in 29, the atmospheric 7-by-10-foot wind tunnel in 1930, and then the full-scale 30-by-60-foot tunnel in 1931. That's progress right there.
0: <laughs> really busy. They got big. That second one is really interesting. It was the world's first variable-density wind tunnel and it allowed for more accurate testing of small-scale models than could be obtained with wind tunnels that just operated at atmospheric pressures. These facilities
1: gave manufacturers real data when designing new aircraft. For example, Boeing was struggling in designing the supercharges that were required to allow the B-17 Flying Fortress to maintain power at high altitude. NACA engineers were able to solve the issues and create standardized testing methods for future development.
0: A couple of years later, the B-17 would prove to be a vital component for America and its allies in World War II. Moreover, the technology developed for its engines were used in almost every single aircraft built in the era, giving the allies a significant power advantage above 15,000 feet. Even Britain's mighty P-51
1: Mustang was heavily influenced by the work of NACA. You're welcome. No, we're welcome, because you took the idea, right? Right. Mm. So it all just comes back around
0: again. It's a round robin of warplanes. Exactly.
1: NACA may be best remembered for its work in supersonic flight. Despite the fact that the Bell X-1 aircraft that Chuck Yeager first broke the sound barriering, being an Air Force project, NACA was responsible for data collection during the test flights.
0: Additionally, a lot of the tech that made early supersonic flight even possible came from NACA itself. The X-1 program was first envisioned in 1944 when a former NACA engineer now working for Bell Aircraft approached the army for funding of a supersonic test aircraft.
1: In 1951, NACA engineer Richard Whitcomb determined the area rule that explained transonic flow over an aircraft. The area rule is a topic... We can probably get to another time, maybe, or at least it's not something we're going to get into right now. But in short, is a design technique used to reduce an aircraft's drag between Mach 0.75 and 1.2. This work was initially classified, but Whitcomb has since been credited for one of the most important breakthroughs in modern aeronautics.
0: NACA also participated in development of the world's first aircraft to fly to the edge of space, North American's X-15, and much of NACA's work continues to literally shape aircraft today. I like that. Literally shape it. Mm-hmm. Wind tunnels. That's
1: what that's what they do. Yeah. It wouldn't last forever though. It was in nineteen fifty seven. Hugh Dryden, NACA's director, established the special committee on space technology. A year later, James Killian, who chaired the President's Science Advisory Committee at the time, wrote a letter to President Dwight D. Eisenhower urging the formalization of
0: space as an area of work and research. Killian suggested NACA was the perfect place to start. By this point, it had 7,500 employees and over $300 million worth of facilities. So in July 1958, NASA was born. I'd like to thank Edward for sending this in. Always fun to learn about wind tunnels and the area rule, which I did read a little bit about. And basically it is present in all aircraft design today. Like it's amazing the work that these people did. So relevant still today. It's pretty cool. I like that NACA killed itself. If you're going to be cannibalized, you want to do it yourself. Mm, Actually, do you? Mm. You said that and I don't know. Actual cannibalism, no. But like Apple made the iPhone and it killed the iPod. That's not a bad deal.
1: Oh, yeah. Like that, that's a different type of cannibalism. Right? Yeah. Okay.
0: If, you, if you want to read more about NACA, we have some links over in the show notes at relay.fm slash ungeniused slash 98. While you're there, you can get in touch via email, send in uh, some topics on Wikipedia, and they will get added to the list. You can also send in links via Twitter. The show is at ungeniused. You can follow Mike there as I M Y K E, and you can find me on Twitter as ISMH. Until our next trip down the wind tunnel, Mike, say goodbye. Bye-bye. Adios.